If you don't mind, just uh, allow me to read these next few verses, and um, we'll get into our message as quickly as I can. I'm reading from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. And I'm taking my reading from the New King James Version. That's Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. If you are visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you and we pray, hope, and trust that your time with us would be a blessing as you have already been a blessing in your short stay while you've been here. Now, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Church, you may have your seats at this time. For the next few minutes, I want to encourage us from this text and from the title a teaching moment in a time of trouble. A teaching moment in a time of trouble. The, the sub-team really is discipleship in the middle of our distress. A teaching moment in time of trouble. At first glance, this reading seems simple and straightforward enough to come out with some very basic and simple deductions or conclusions. When, when we look at the reading of the text, we find some, some very quick details. Jesus and his disciples have made his, their way into a boat. As a matter of fact, the text would tell us that his disciples followed him into or onto this particular boat. Uh, while on the boat, Jesus eventually fell asleep while the boat was actually navigating some very tempestuous conditions. That is to say, the boat had found itself in the middle of a storm while Jesus was fast asleep. Uh, as we continue looking at some of the, the details that we find uh, uh, in a brief cursory reading of the text, the boat was now in the middle of a storm and taking on water. Uh, if it wasn't bad enough being in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a storm, now water that was supposed to be outside of the boat is making its way inside of the ship. Uh, you know, as I was doing some reading, it's interesting because many ships have the capacity to, to withstand some water coming into it, but there's a reason why boats aren't made with water. Uh, and the water is supposed to exist outside of the boat and not inside of the boat. The minute that water uh, displaces the air of the ship and the buoyancy of the ship, the minute it equals, it matches, and it exceeds it, the ship finds itself in some difficulty. 
Uh, as a result of what was going on, we, we recognize in the text that disciples make their way, at least from the reading of this text, they, they make their way to Jesus and they wake Jesus up to their cries based on their current distress. To which Jesus would respond to them in this way, why are you all scre screaming at me? Why? What, what, what's really going on? What's all this crying about? What's all this trepidation about? What's all this anxiety about? What's all this panic about? Why are you so filled with fear? Oh, you of little faith is how he would respond. But as I said before, just at first glance, this particular reading seems pretty straightforward until we take into account some some things that are both internal and external to Matthew's account. Follow me with this really quickly, church. Internally, that is to Matthew's account, we recognize that our particular text where our reading was taken from actually falls under the purview of a, of a greater context where Matthew is speaking on discipleship. If you follow the reading earlier in chapter number 8, from verse number 18, many subheadings in your Bibles would read where Jesus speaks concerning the cost of discipleship. So from verse number 18 through 22, it reads like this, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart on the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you. Say, follow you. I just want to make sure you're, you're sticking with me. He said, I will follow you wherever you go. This is all within a discussion that Jesus would have had uh, with an individual, but Matthew brings this in into context before he deals with the part of them being in a boat in the middle of a sea. So he encounters this scribe who makes the declaration, the bold declaration that he was willing to follow Jesus wherever Jesus went. And he, speaking of Jesus, verse number 20 said to him, foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere on this earth to really lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and, and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me. Say, follow me. Come on. And let the dead be the ones who bury the dead. Then he goes on in verse number 23. That's according to Matthew's gospel. Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed. Say followed. They followed him. So internally, as we think about the text, it's a very brief reading from verses 23 through 27 of Matthew chapter number 8. And as we, as we just approach the text in a very simplistic way, we come out with some quick details. But I need for us to appreciate as we broaden the context of our horizon, we recognize that this text falls within the category of discipleship. It is drenched with the theme of discipleship all throughout the reading of this account of Jesus and the disciples on the water. But when we look externally, if I were to do this really quickly, into another gospel account, we encounter some details uh, in a parallel text that we don't find according to Matthew's rendition of 
the encounter. In the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter number 4, verses 35 through 41. Please allow me to just go through some of this and we will be where you all need me to be here in a little bit. But let me do this. Uh, as far as Mark's account, reading at verse number 35, it sounds like this. On the same day. Uh, what was happening on that day? Jesus had just finished teaching his disciples earlier. So it says, on that same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over on the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along into the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling up. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Uh, Matthew's account said, foxes have holes. Matthew's account mentioned the fact that the birds of the air have nests. But Jesus would utter earlier in his account when Matthew is, is, is rendering it, but the Son of Man has nowhere <laughs> to lay his head. But Mark's account said he found occasion, spot, and place to lay his head in the middle of a storm. Let me repeat that one more time so that this could begin to sink, sink into your psyche. Matthew said of Jesus, according to his, his account, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. For foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But according to Mark's account, Mark is saying that in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a sea, in the middle of a storm, Jesus is in the middle of this spot, in the middle of this situation, and he is dead asleep on a pillow. <laughs> if that's not a picture of peace, then I don't know what is. But he said he was fast asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Say peace. peace. Be still. Peace. One more time. Say peace. peace. Be still. Peace. One more time. Say peace. peace. Be still. Watch this. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, one another, who can this really be that even the sea and the wind obey him? Watch this really quickly while I just share these thoughts. Peace in its original language here means to hush. It means to keep silent or to be silent. It means to hold your peace. It's, it, it, it's the idea of a command. So Jesus is commanding, but notice in the text it says, he says, peace be still to the wind. And the wind and the waves shut up. But you would recognize that as we look a little bit deeper, in as much as he was talking to the wind and the waves, he was really talking to the disciples who was also right in his presence. The winds and the waves might be contrary, but in, in the light of being in the presence of a, created, of a creative God, of an all-powerful Yeshua, the winds and the waves have to listen to the creator. And yet still Jesus says, peace, be still. 
And they are marveling that the winds and the waves have the capacity to listen to the Savior. They are in awe at the fact that a man, quote unquote, has the capacity to speak to the wind that they couldn't speak to and could speak to the waves that they couldn't speak to and he could bring calm so much so that both Matthew and Mark recognized that it was a great, it wasn't a simple calm. It wasn't just a momentary thing, it was a great. You ever been in one of those situations where after a storm there's just a peace? You ever seen a situation where after a hurricane, there's there is such a peace and tranquility. After being in a situation, there is a peace. He said, great was the peace that was existing after Jesus spoke. Peace, be still. Watch this. So peace means to hush. Peace means to be silent. Peace means to keep silent. And peace means to hold your peace. But then be still. I love this because be still gives the connotation of the idea of not only bringing one to silence, but it's the idea of muzzling an individual or an animal. It's the idea of taking an apparatus and putting it over an individual or thing's mouth so that it could, it could close the mouth with some level of force because maybe even though you're trying to get them to shut up, they're not shutting up. And so you have to muzzle muzzle the mouth a little bit so that you could do what you need to do. Uh, I know we have a lot of individuals here who have animals and sometimes the animal might be in some pain uh, and you, not just the doctor, but you, you're trying to treat the animal, but you know that the animal, if it continues to move and it continues to act, you won't be able to do in the animal what you need to do for the animal. And so sometimes you have to bind the animal down. Sometimes you have to muzzle the animal so you could get to administer to this animal. It's the same thing sometimes with Jesus. He has to muzzle us sometimes. He has to confine us sometimes so we can have the capacity to be in a place so that he could do for us what he needs to do for us, in us, and through us. Watch this. It's the idea of being in a room in the midst of chaos where everyone is shouting and have lost their minds and no one is listening. And the only way that, that, that their attention can be drawn so that now clear and concise uh, 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 commands could be given is somebody now has to take a deep breath and scream to the top of their lungs, forgive me for this, everybody just shut up. So it's in the midst, every, everybody's moving and everybody's talking and it's, it's a chaotic scene, but somebody who's trying to, to share some clear, distinct commands, they have to now muster the strength and take a deep breath and scream to the top of their lungs, bringing everyone to a hush. So when he says, peace, be still, Jesus is hushing the crowd. When he says, peace, be still, he is hushing the winds. When he says, peace, be still, he is hushing and screaming above the power that they are experiencing. When he says, peace, be still, he is shouting and screaming at you and me to bring ourselves to a place of calm. Stop your complaining for a little bit and just listen. Stop your fussing for a little bit and just listen. You just stop with your anxiety for a little bit and just listen. I know the depression is there but you just stop for a little bit and you listen. I know the confusion is there but you just stop there and you listen for a little bit. I know the fear and the doubt is there but you just stop for a little bit and you listen. 
So he says, peace, be still. Church, watch this. Being still is about calming our fears when they begin to take root. Being still is about making sense of who we are and who we are with. Being still is about stopping and slowing down in the midst of chaos so that we could seek God's face and we could seek his voice. Being still is about, give, is, is about giving our fears and, and anxieties and everything to Jehovah God. Being still is about positioning ourselves in order to hear the voice and the command and the will of God. Being still means putting ourselves in a space and having a posture that's able to listen to God's instructions. Being still is about ensuring that there is more faith in us than fear. I need for us to see that the boat in this text becomes a metaphor. The boat in this text becomes figurative of, of the faith and the operation of the believer in as much as a boat will sink when water goes from the outside and comes on the inside. I need for us to understand that the boat becomes a metaphor for you and I, that when fears and the things of this world that's supposed to be on the outside of us makes its way on the inside of us, that's when we fall into problems, when worldliness that is supposed to be on the outside of the church makes its way on the inside of the church. That's when the church starts to navigate some trouble, when politics that's supposed to be on the outside makes its way on the inside you guys not saying anything that's when the church becomes problematic when it is we allow sin that's supposed to be on the outside to be the prevailing thing that's on the inside the church finds itself in difficulty so Jesus says not only to the winds but he says to us peace be still so knowing that our text falls under the category of discipleship in the middle of the boat in the middle of the sea in the middle of the storm Jesus decides that class was in session it's not enough sometimes for him to just tell them the theory he has to bring them to the practical and I love it because when you follow Matthew's account Jesus doesn't get to the point according to Matthew's account in sending his disciples out by themselves so to speak until chapter number 10 but before he sends them out in chapter number 10 by themselves he has an encounter with them he is walking with them through this occasion of storm in the middle of the sea in the middle of a boat and so this is this is a classroom for them this is a place where he is able to teach them some things where they're able to learn some things about themselves but also they're able to recognize some things about the messiah that they're following it, it, it's easy if you think about it to simply follow the messiah in theory but when it comes to the practical that's where the rubber hits the road it's easy in concept to say well okay we're going where the Messiah goes but this text is going to help us to see it's not enough simply to be where the Messiah is but we have to be we have to be transformed to have the type of heart attitude and mentality as the Messiah himself so what Jesus is trying to teach and he is using classes in session as I said before he is using uh, this particular situation and experience to teach them about who he is but also who they are and who they are supposed to be in light of him Watch this, watch this, watch this. Let me do this really quickly. Let me do this really quickly. I, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know. People say it's, you know, amens is for affirmation, but let me tell you, amens help me understand that you're there with me. Sometimes a nod help helps me understand that you're there with me. When you just look at me with blank faces, I don't know if you're there, and I'm praying that the Spirit works, and that's great, and that's fine. But I need for you to just stick with me and just show me. Let, let, Brother Morgan, just bump your head a little bit. <laughs> Do something. Let, let me know that this is making sense, but I, I want you to see that this is class in session, and here are some teaching moments in the time of trouble that I believe that we're able to pull from this text really quickly. I'm just going to list these, and the brief exhortation would be yours. Number one, keep the waters of worldliness outside of the boat. It's, we, 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 we struggle with sin every single day. It's, it's, it's hard enough before being a Christian to try to navigate this world. You add now being a Christian and recognizing that you have a responsibility and a duty towards holiness, then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more difficult. But the reality is when you become a child of God and you are now uh, indwelled by the Holy Spirit and you are an acclaimed believer of Jehovah God and a follower of the Messiah, that is Yeshua, that is Jesus. Say Yeshua. I, I just want to make sure that when you guys hear me say Yeshua, you know I'm talking about Jesus. All right, I, I want you to know that when you hear me say Jehovah, uh, that's talking about God Almighty. And so I'm, I'm just using these words so that I could help you understand in some depth from the uh, 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 language standpoint. And I'm talking about the, the same person. I'm talking about the same individuals. Yeshua is Jesus. Uh, and so I want us to appreciate that in as much as we struggle with sin, God has given us the power to overcome sin. But the decision every day to walk in the light of his power rests with you and me. And whether or not we go through the storms of this life is no excuse to give ourselves over to sin, ungodliness, and a lie. Could I say that one more time? I know that we struggle with sin, church. I know that sin is a thing that until Christ return, that we will have to struggle with every single minute of every single day. And sin could be overt and it could be implicit, but I need for us to appreciate that we are all going to struggle with sin. And in as much as we are believers, can I see the hands of the believers in the house? I, I want you to appreciate this, believers. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we are just cleaned up sinners that God has made into saints. But, but in as much as that's the case and we struggle with sin, here's what I want us to appreciate as saints in Christ Jesus, as people who have given themselves over to God, God has empowered us to overcome sin. And so the choice to live and dwell in sin is left up to us and we don't have an excuse based on the situations that we face in this life. So the boat is trying to teach us God is using this, Jesus, Yeshua is using this as a teachable moment to help us to recognize that we need to keep the waters of worldliness. Say worldliness. We need to keep the waters of the flesh. Say flesh. We need to keep the waters of tradition, say tradition. We need to keep anything that is man-made and man-conjured philosophy and alike. Anything that is not of God, we need to keep that outside. Because that doesn't belong on the inside. You guys with me? Is, is that alright? Am I, am I preaching like Gus this morning? I, I wish I had the Holy Ghost power like Gus this morning because... Uh, alright Gus, I'm going to have you preach here in about three months, so get, you get ready. Number two, number two, number two, the chaos that we face is never bigger than the Christ that we serve. 
<laughs> it's not enough to simply know who to run to. We make the mistake of thinking, well, in my distress, let me just run and say a prayer to God. We make the mistake in thinking that, okay, we know that we have to go to Jesus, so let me run to Jesus. The disciples know that they could have run to Jesus, but they didn't recognize who Jesus was just yet. Because I believe if they knew who Jesus was, they wouldn't have come to Jesus full of fear. I, I remember one time I was, um, let, me, let, me, let me do again, I'm learning from Gus. I'm telling you, Gus is teaching me some stuff this morning. I, I was probably like about seven or eight years old. I was out in the field. My grandfather took me to, to work with him. And so there's this office he used to operate from in, in the oil field. And right next to the office, there were like three huge um, oil tanks. These are where they would store the oil when it was pumped. And then right off to the left of the oil tanks, Steve, there, there was like an open field. And some farmers, what they would do is they would bring all of their cattle. This is, these are some of the biggest, until I came to Texas and I saw there was longhorns. But, but these were some of the biggest, these were some of the biggest cattle I had ever seen. And, and maybe the reason why they looked so big was because I was six or seven, but you know, that's irrelevant. But the point is, these were huge. And so I decided what I was going to do is I was going to leave the safety of the office and I was going to go out and explore. You know how kids do it? I'm going out to explore. I have a funny story about that, but I'll deal with that some other time. So I went out to explore. I, found, I have my stick and I'm going out to explore. And as I make my way past the tanks, I see these, these cattle. And so I decide what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the stick and I'm going to throw it at the cattle. When that wasn't good enough, I decided, well, okay, I see some stones. I'm going to take the stones and I'm going to throw it at the cattle. I'm going to throw it at the cattle. <laughs> and the older folks back home have this saying, what is fun for school children is death for crapple. What is fun for school kids is death for frogs. So I'm taking up these stones and I'm throwing it at the cattle. And then I realize the cattle are starting to move. But one big bull steps up. And he starts to stomp. And he charges a little bit and then stops. Charges a little bit and then stops. And I am, I am frozen in fear. My mind is saying, you need to run right now. But my body is gripped in fear. And no sooner does the cattle decide that he is going to charge, I heard my grand, I've never heard my grandfather open his mouth before in a shouting or screaming fashion. And I heard my grandfather running. I wish I could preach this. He was running and while he was running, he spoke and he screamed to the, to the top of his lungs, no, no, no. And that bull, as much as it was getting ready to charge, it stuttered for a little bit. And when the bull stuttered for a little bit, I snapped for a little bit because I heard his voice. And when I heard his voice, the fear that once crippled me started to lose its grip. I wish I had somebody. When I heard his voice, the thing that was just planting my feet to the ground started to release 
because now I started to move from a place of fear and put some faith in the voice of my grandfather. He said, listen, I need for you to understand that the Christ that you serve is greater than the crisis that is present in your life. But when we come to Jesus, we don't, even, we don't just need to come to Jesus knowing that, hey, we need to pray to him, but we need to come to him in faith. When we need to come to Jesus, it shouldn't be a matter of, well, God, if you could do anything. No, no, no. God, I know you could do everything. When we come to Jesus, we need to recognize him as the great I am, the sustainer, the provider. We need to recognize that he has the capacity. And the reason why Jesus is asleep in the boat, because he, know, he knows who he is. We need to rest in the understanding of who Jesus is. Because who we are, are is directly attached to the identi identity of the Savior that we serve. To know Jesus is to know ourselves. And to know ourselves is to know the power that rests within us to overcome whatever obstacle that comes our way. So we need to learn sometimes to, to be still. Say, be still. Thirdly, as I close, not only do we need to recognize that we need to keep the waters of wilderness outside of the boat, not only do we recognize that the chaos that we face is never bigger than the Christ that we serve, number three, to really know Yeshua. To really know Yeshua is to know peace. There's a lot of things that, are, that is competing for our attention every single day. And to be honest with you, the devil is going to do everything within his power to unsettle and destabilize our consciousness, our faith, and our focus. But in as much as we know that, we also need to know the one who empowers us. Because I feel like if we know the one who empowers us and we know the power that we possess, that even when we are going through times of trial, tribulation, and alike, there is a peace that we have. Paul talks about this that passes or is supposed to pass all understanding. It's a type of peace that even though we know the world is going down the tubes, we know that God is still in control. It's a type of peace that even though we know that our body is is getting down and down in age and health, we still know the one who holds our souls and our existence in the palm of his hands. It's, it's the type of peace that has the capacity to think in chaos. It's the type of peace that has the capacity and the awareness to worship in times of anxiety. It's the type of peace that passes truly all forms of understanding. So church, I want to I want to share with you these thoughts, and I pray, hope, and trust that these were able to be a blessing to you, that this is discipleship in the middle of our distress. And when we're going through our times of trouble, God is saying, listen, I just want to teach you some things. So look to the person next to you and say, stay focused. Come on, preach to them. Look to the person next to you and say, be still. Look to the person next to you and say, pay attention. Because God is trying to teach us something. Church, if there's anybody here that needs the prayer of the saints and the prayer of the brethren, please feel free to come forward and let it be known as together we stand and sing our song.